Hello, friends. This is just to let you know that today's guest was not able to be in the studio with me. So, at times, their audio may not be of the same high quality that you have been used to in previous episodes of the podcast. But I felt that their knowledge and their insights and experience was of such high value that it was better for us to do it this way than for you not to hear from them at all. And, you know, check your own own baseline because I know what the amount I can cope with. You know, you know the amount that you can cope with health-wise. Yeah. And that's that's physically, emotionally and mentally. Um, so keep that in mind and tell the people that you're closest to if, you know... I hope, I absolutely hope um, that, it, that it's your partner um, that, that you can talk to or maybe your best friend or maybe your best friend is your partner. Hello friends and thank you for joining me for the Way Forward podcast brought to you by me, Fliss Goldsmith and Co-Design Coaching where we create your optimal life together. So today I am joined by the utterly inspirational Sarah Barley McMullen. Sarah is here to talk to us about her journey through chronic ill health. And I know this is a subject that many people will relate to and it's bound inextricably to me as I too live with chronic health conditions. Sarah, welcome and thank you for coming along today. Hello, Fliss. It's it's lovely to talk to you actually about chronic ill health so thank you very much for asking. Well there's no one else I was going to ask on to talk about this subject because this is this is a journey we have both walked a long time. So (laughs) let me tell you more about Sarah before we dig into that. Sarah's worked in education, advocacy and trailblazing for LGBTQIA plus rights for over 30 years. She was named Stonewall Role Model of the Year and she's worked with organisations from the NHS and right through to the National Youth Agency. But a little over 10 years ago, Sarah's health began to decline. Now a chronic illness warrior and long COVID survivor, she's focused her energy on establishing a consultancy called Be Longing for Change and works with the charity Long COVID SOS to develop strategies, lead cultural change and advocate for inclusivity. She surrounds herself with the dreamers, the thinkers, the doers and the believers. So, Sarah, before we dig into your story, I I want to ask you, actually, how do you feel when people say, how are you when they greet you? Because it's quite a difficult question for somebody who suffers with chronic ill health. It is. And very often that's that's the question that really the outcome of which really determines um, the conversation that you have or sometimes how you'll feel throughout the day, Um, because I think. Um, asking somebody with chronic illness how they are really diminishes um, in some way uh, the, 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 the very fact that that person has a chronic condition because, you know, we have good days and bad days. Um, we have middle days. Um, but I, I don't remember feeling well, the well that I felt 20 years ago. Um, my baseline has changed. So, um, I I have been known to say, well, instead of asking me how I am, why don't you say something like, 
Um, so what's today look like for you? Um, you know, because then I can say, well, you know, um, um, yeah, it, it, it could be OK today. Um, but, uh, you know, like you, I, I'm not willing to commit myself too early in the day to telling anyone how I am. Because um, it's so easily change. Yes, like like the British weather. Like the very British weather. Yes. <laughs> um, I am really grateful, though, that you've come to talk to us today because this is something that's deeply personal. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your story, about yourself and how you've come to live with chronic health conditions? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. I think, um, you know, my chronic health is very much um, bound up, or a lot of it is very much bound up in, in loss. Um, and essentially my brother was killed in a horrific accident with the, he was um the manager of a band called the fisherman's friends and their promoter and there's a big accident at a theater in guildford and he was killed along with one of the band members and the shock of that um of not being able to remember our last conversation of not being able to say goodbye um and in you know watching watching my my mum and my dad go through that um i i was told um about 6 months later was the cause of uh, me developing uh, an all over pain condition called fibromyalgia so i was told that that was um that was the root um it, my body's reaction really to um, that incredibly horrific shock and it was all in the news and uh, it, the trial didn't happen for about three and a half years so it, it lasted a long time um, but on top of that I already had asthma and I already had um, a lot of arthritis and so what fibromyalgia did for me was just sort of play around with the pain that I already had and, and magnified it um, and I had peaks and troughs and um, it got to the stage where it was suggested that I use a walking stick um, in 2017. There was no way I was going to use a walking stick, but I did accept a crutch. Um, and I just thought, actually, I haven't seen anyone walking around my sort of age um, with a crutch. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, that can be quite temporary as well, can't it? Yeah, it can, yeah. Yeah, so so I accepted the crutch and cracked on really, and uh, managed um, through. Um, I I would call it determination. Helen, my wife, would probably call it stubbornness. Um, <laughs> yes, um, she would probably. Yes, most probably. <laughs> um, I I managed to get every single reasonable reasonable adjustment that I could get at work, and I worked at the university. I was a, a senior lecturer. Uh, and I was chair of the LGBT Staff and Allies Society. Um, and I sort of built built this um, structure around me that enabled me, um, you know, including I managed to get a blue badge so I could park close to the door and uh, I managed to get meetings moved so they were closer to me. And, you know, I just I just dealt with it and 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 I, I had to adapt and live a bit differently. Um, but on on the whole, um, I I I coped really quite well. Sounds like um, you were quite proactive at that stage then about 
making those adaptations and and being able to still continue on in, in, with your life as it was very very much so and a, a lot of the influence for me um was my aunt my my dad's sister who had caught polio in the 1930s um when there was no vaccine and my dad had caught it as well dad recovered but my aunt never did and she became one of the first almoners or social workers in a hospital um and I sort of followed her trajectory um, because then she became a, a lecturer and things. But she would say to me right from a, a very early age, um, she was quite posh. So she said, oh, Sarah, darling, it's not the fact that I can't walk that disables me. It's the way they design cars and buses and pavements and roads. And, you know, it was so it was very much her instilling the social model of disability Um that was then created um, later on, um, she instilled that in me as opposed to the medical model. And it's it's not me that's the problem. It's the way things are designed around me um, and what's been normalised um, that actually is is the disabling factor or are the disabling factors. Um, so, you know, and you actually as well, when I when I first met you, you what you did was you you ticked a lot of the Yes, I am doing that. That okay, Sarah? You tick those boxes for me just by talking to you, and just by, um, you know, um, we we have some conditions in common. Um, but but you know, your can-do attitude um, works very well um, and rubs up very well against my solution-focused attitude. Um, oh, thank and so you. you. You've helped me in that as well. So thank you. Well, that is an. In incredibly feels a, a big blessing to hear that um because you know i make no secret of the fact that sarah is one of my inspirations so uh to, to hear that from you is rather marvelous actually yeah, marvelous, marvelous. marvelous so uh, and i yeah no no you go you go well i was gonna say i'd start singing then but um <laughs> uh, i can't i can't at the moment COVID came along, didn't it? Well, yes, I was going to say, yes, the, the, the COVID elephant in the room definitely needs talking about. I went on holiday to Cornwall in uh, mid-March 2020 with Helen, my wife and some friends. And we ended up coming back early because the whole country was going to shut down. And, you know, we we cracked on, didn't we? And And I worked from home, Helen worked from home. Um, I was talking at conferences online from home, uh, making lots of welcome videos for new staff, new students uh, at the university. Um, and I was I was classified as clinically vulnerable, but not clinically extremely vulnerable. Um, and that meant I got the free supermarket delivery slots. Hooray! Hooray! So we ordered on behalf of six people <laughs> every week. Uh, and we had this great, um, we, we settled on Asda in the end. We had this great Asda um, uh, um, delivery that would happen on, on a Thursday night. It was, Brilliant. It was the highlight of the week. I was going to say, look forward to that. Yes, we did. We did. Yeah. Um, but then on the uh, 17th of January, 2021, um, I got my phone pinged and I got a positive test for COVID. Um and I wasn't I wasn't really ill. I wasn't hospitalised. Um, I had a sort of mild to moderate dose of it. Uh, the ambulance came out once. Um, 
because my oxygen levels were were very low and my heartbeat heart rate was very high um but you know i i i got over that acute phase but then really just never got better and in the march i was referred to the long covid clinic and in the june um i had my first appointment and they confirmed i had long covid and I think the thing for me about long COVID is uh, it doesn't, long COVID is very specific. Uh, it's very bespoke to each yeah. person. And my experience of what it does is that it attacks vulnerabilities that um, people already have. Um, so, you know, and then it just it just builds on those. Unfortunately for me, um, it also added uh, new things that I've I've had to learn uh, how to adjust to, if you like. So I, I haven't been able to cry since the 17th of January 2021. Um, and, and that's um, to, that's because of the long COVID. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it turns out that's part of a, a bigger autoimmune disease called Sturgeon's disease, uh, which affects your joints and um, your uh, I get a very dry mouth so I have to drink a lot and and my eyes and my ears and um so it affects it affect, affects all of those things and that's quite unpleasant um also something called POTS so when I stand up my heart rate jumps up and I'm very dizzy um I'm deaf not not completely deaf but I I have to wear hearing aids now um and this this again is all COVID. Uh, I get very bad tinnitus, so I have to um, listen to a lot of white noise, especially when it's it's quiet. Um, and you know, lot, lots of lots of other things. But I think one of you know, apart from not being able to cry, one of the other things it did was it. it I've got two partially collapsed lungs that that haven't healed, and uh, a partially collapsed voice box, um, which um has only just been discovered because i had i had to wait 25 months for an ent appointment so i can't sing and you know i i i used to be a songwriter and i and i used to sing and that's that's how i got through uh, the first few lockdowns of making making uh well just singing and making videos yeah. and posting them online well, I'm um, I'm going to do a podcast um, as part of this series, actually, on using our voice for our mental health and singing uh, and how that all feeds into, you know, our emotional well-being and landscape. So to have that taken away from you, I imagine, has been a very difficult journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, it's still I'm still not adjusted to it. You know, I can cope with a bit of dizziness and, you know, feeling nauseous and everything, pot springs, but not being able to cry i was i i i was at a funeral of a very old friend yesterday and um you know i i had to go with strategies so that i i i wouldn't get upset because um now instead of crying i i have a panic attack and um that's hideous that, that's 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 dreadful so Part of me has had to shut down, really. My sort of feeling side has had to shut down to find a way uh, of adjusting. And until I can do, until I can adjust, I, you know, I can't, I can't be whole and I can't come back to, to wholeness, really. So, 
Yeah, and yes. it, it, it's a hugely emotive and really, really complex situation. And and yet we know that there's so many other people out there who are on similar paths with yeah. declining health and it's outside yeah. of their control very often. Um, yeah. One thing that I've noticed in my journey, and I, I wanted to ask if you'd found similar things or what your experience of this was, is that friendships and relationships are tested under these conditions and not all of them survive. Um, do you feel you've lost people along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think it's a bit like grief, isn't it? When somebody dies, um, often people don't know how to behave, how to react. Um, and and I think having a chronic illness, grief is part of that. You know, once it's 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 the Kubler Ross stages really that that you 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 end up going through, but not in a linear way. You can start with anger. Um, but yeah, so I've I've been I feel very grateful and very lucky to um, have kept some of the really important people um, to have been able to um, say goodbye and to some of the other people that that just haven't been able to to cope with it and to keep other people at a distance um, just for my own mental health because. Um, Oh, not that again, Sarah. Or oh, aren't you better yet? You know, <laughs> those those sort of comments. Um, yeah. Wow. I wish I wish I was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so it's 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 intrinsic. I think chronic physical chronic health for me is intrinsically linked linked with mental health and well being. Um, Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. But I I do feel though that you are a hugely positive person, but you're still grounded in your honesty about your you know tribulations and and the the challenges that you faced. Yeah, and the I would always describe you as being really strong in your authenticity, you know, in who you are. So, with that in mind, where do you find joy? What is joy for you? Oh wow! Well, uh, joy joy is is our garden um, for me. Joy is um, anything and anyone that that makes makes me smile really. So, joy is is um, meeting a friend for a coffee, you know, feeling well enough to go, um, but also feeling well enough to spend time with that person. Joy is planting things in the garden, forgetting about them, and then seeing them them pop up. Um, you know, joy is it's it's found, I think, for me in in the the strangest of places because I can actually feel joy. Joy for me is intrinsically linked to gratitude. And I'm, you know, having lost my brother um so dramatically, um, and then my my father died as well two two years later. Um I'm so grateful that that I I I have I do have some okay health, um, but I I find joy in in the things I can do. So you know, in the things that I can influence. Um, you know, just uh, a, a bit of an example. One of one of the things I did uh, when I um, I had long COVID. I was off work for about ten months. Tried to go back and 
just wasn't well enough so I had to take ill health retirement which I wasn't I wasn't ready to retire at 52 but luckily I got my ill health pension um, and then I set up belonging for change um, but one of the opportunities that somebody sent to me was to become a lived experience partner for the clinical policy unit in the NHS um, and they were the people that um, resourced all the COVID, the long COVID clinics and okay. services uh, around the country. Um, and I, I, I was appointed, so I'm, I was one of, and still am actually, one of four um, lived experience partners that um, uh, oversees and challenges um, and contributes to the policy, the procedure, the website, the platform, um, and you know, we've just been writing the commissioning guidelines for um, long COVID clinics moving from the central programme to um, regional integrated care boards. Right. Yeah. Um, around around the country. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm getting my own back on COVID <laughs> by doing that um, because I've, I've been able to interject lots and lots of um things like inclusive language, gender neutral language, mm. better imagery. But I've still been able to say, um, you know, I, I walk into uh, X primary care unit and I don't see anything that um, makes me feel welcome as a, a, a white, gay, um, disabled woman. You know, I see I see lots of very white, um, middle class looking, happy, healthy families with a, a, a boy and a girl as children and a dog in a caravan <laughs> of course um, you know so I was just even just this morning I was I was in a meeting with the head of the clinical policy unit who reports to the head of uh, primary care um, for, for England and um, the um, specialist lead for long Covid um, who works um, and I was saying something about the vaccines you know uh, you know our best defense against COVID is is um, vaccines but they're only giving them to people that are 65 and above and I'm still not I'm not 65 yeah um, and uh, it's it's the JCVI so we are actually there there are um, part of long COVID SOS as well um, we're starting a um, a campaign to challenge the JCVI who have made that decision about you know lower age groups that aren't in vulnerable categories doing that and you know even um we were talking about um we we're talking about something else and and the specialist lead said oh well actually um Chris Whitty works here uh, and he's on my ward today so I'll go and lock him in a cupboard and ask I'll get back to you and it's <laughs> and it's that sort of um influence you know to to be able to position yourself um to be able to influence policy makers and, and decision makers at, at a high level around something that has absolutely knocked me sideways um i feel so grateful for that um and although i'm i'm knackered i'm i'm exhausted um i feel some sense of joy because i've got purpose and I'm able to evoke some change. Um, and that's, you know, that it, it 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 sounds like a really big deal. And it's it's not about it's not about name dropping because no one knows who the head of the clinical policy unit is <laughs> NHS. But it's about 
change and it's about being able to position yourself in in the right space um and be able to contribute the right um aspect of of what's being discussed that's actually missing so i'm able to say well people living with long covid feel that yeah um you'll you know, be you're and, being able to give a voice to more yeah. more than just your experience you're being able to advocate for other people yeah. because of the yeah. position that you're in yeah um, it's, it's advocating you know pe- everyone has a voice but not everybody has a platform so i've got the privilege of having a platform uh, so I, I I use it for as many people as I possibly can. You certainly do, and and I think that you know the the big thing that I'm sort of taking from this is that joy is almost a mindset rather than an emotion, and yeah. whatever emotional weather you're experiencing, you can draw on some form of joy, and I don't say that in a um, sort of whimsical it, I've seen it on a mug or a t-shirt way because I have been through some difficulties some huge grief and mm-hmm. and I know from experience that actually joy is more of a mindset and if you can mm-hmm. root yourself in that mm-hmm. gratitude and appreciation mm-hmm. while still being honest about having negative feelings because they are yeah. completely valid you yeah. will always be able to find something to be grateful for to yeah. value to appreciate um yeah. and i also Absolutely. think that whenever i think about you i always think that love is a word that i find synonymous with you um from your work to your personal life it's a real foundation in everything that you do um and everything that you stand for um so without breaking into a tina turner classic but you know you can if you like if you've got (laughs) enough air what's what's love got to do with it sarah oh well i um love love has everything to do with it for me and um throughout my life um i have always been in the privileged position where i've had people around me who love me and they have shown their love through enabling me, um, through advising me, through preventing me, <laughs> um, through uh, opening doors for me or or just through being there. And so love, love really is is right at the heart of, of who I am. Um, I'm also I'm going to out myself now. <clears throat> I'm also a Christian. Um, my faith is is something that's very very important to me and is is very very strong um and for me christianity well christianity is is about a relationship that you have personally um with uh with jesus um and and um f- for me doing doing um things for other people is is me almost living out my faith not just doing things but you know representing other people creating opportunities because um at pride in belper for example we we came up with a new um phrase this year that that is basically um real inclusion reflects an an unedited society and that for me is what christianity is all about because 
you know, I tried to be straight. I tried really hard to be straight. Um, but when uh, my dad was a vicar, when when I was 19, my mum sat me down in the kitchen and said, um, Sarah, the sooner you admit you're gay, the easier all our lives are going to be. <laughs> so I had, right. It was me. I was the last person in my family to actually come to terms with Um, So I've always had this really, really strong um, support within my family. Mm. You know, this you can do anything and and still still have that. Well, with with my mum, still have that. And love really is is at the heart of that. And, you know, love is about so many things. Primarily, it's about respecting the other person. Um, It's also about. not putting yourself first but still looking after yourself you know so it's not about begetting yourself um it's it's about making sure you're okay so you can be there for other people as well but not just making sure you're okay and stopping at that you know making sure you're okay and you can be there for other people and it's it's about looking at, at what other people need and not forcing my agenda of Christianity onto anybody else. So a lot of people don't know that I'm a Christian, um, but but I'm not I'm not shy about telling anybody. Um, so I sit on the Board of Education for Derby Diocese um, and Derby Diocese has over 100 um, schools, um, um, mainly primary schools. There's one secondary school. Um, and so I'm one of the trustees that, that looks after uh, those schools. And, you know, my my agenda every time is inclusion and belonging. And, you know, I, I don't see myself. How, how are the children going to see themselves in that? Well, um, and, you know, the, the sense of diversity and what diversity actually means. And I think diversity isn't just about difference. It's also about understanding the privilege that I have um as a white woman you know that i i have never been discriminated against because of the color of my skin and that's absolutely huge um helen and i were in london last weekend and we took a long cab ride from st pancras to hackney it was long because the schools were coming out and i i felt in a minority you know as as a white person and that for me was the real experience of diversity. And it it wasn't then about Helen and I getting out of the cab and demanding um, that that we be treated as we're treated when we're in Belper. It was about Helen and I being aware of our privilege and not using it against anybody else um, and about respecting um, the people whose community we, we were becoming part of for a few days. So that for me, it comes from love. Yeah. And I, I think as well that, you know, you have got a great way of almost stepping outside of your situation, holding on to it, but then looking from a different perspective. So you are able to see how the world is geared up in favour of certain people, how it's built with certain systems and policies in mind. And when we think about chronic ill health and people who have, you know, lost um, some abilities that they previously had through their ill health, whether that be physical, emotional, mental um, abilities, you do realise that the world is not 
built for people who suffer with chronic ill health. And yeah. I know that that is something that you are passionate about yeah. changing. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I walk with a, a, a walker with wheels called Wanda. Um, and it took me a long time to have the courage to to use one of those but but you know I can walk much further and, and I can sit down when I need to mm. um, but there are so many shops that it's really hard to get into now but it doesn't mean that I stop going in um, it it means that I make a big deal about trying to get in <laughs> um, you know not not for me no. not just for me because I want to be in there but I want I want everybody and you know we need to be able to live together all of us mm-hmm. um you know we're here in this community for each other as well as for ourselves and you know if if me needing to use a walker actually means that I can affect some change in terms of accessibility in the town or in the community then maybe that's maybe that's why I've been I've been given that if me not being able to cry which is horrific Mm. but if if that helps me understand um mental health better um emotions better the ways of expressing um emotions differently and adjusting then you know maybe that's my bag maybe that's 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 where i come to how i come to terms with some of the things that that have happened yeah i don't know so i guess what I would love to know, Sarah, before you go, is that if you could give some advice today to the people who are listening, um, anyone who's battling with chronic illness or health difficulties, um, mental health difficulties, emotional um, challenges, and they're sitting there thinking, I just desperately want a better quality of life, but they don't know what to do and they feel hopeless because you've been through this. What advice would you give them? What would you urge them to focus on today? Today, I would would say focus on the fact that how you're feeling is legitimate and there are lots of people that believe you and that understand the the pain the agony the the emotional distress that you're feeling because they felt that too that that people aren't alone in that um and there are other people um out there that really will reach out and and help help them cope in in a variety of ways and not take that burden from the person but help them adjust to living their life their life differently with it um what what that person has to do is ask for help and that's that's the first and hardest thing that that person has to do yeah is ask for help because they're scared they're lonely they're frightened they're in they're in pain Asking for help, you know, brings some of the most incredible people um, out of the woodwork in our in our community. Yeah, it does, and and I I completely relate to what you're saying. That asking for that help seems yeah. scary because it's saying out loud that you know things have got very difficult for you. However. I would yeah. offer from my own experience, like you've just said, that once you've said it, it's yeah. been said, and actually some of the most incredible people could come into your life. 
Um, Saying it out loud will not take it away, but what it will do is offer other people the chance to support, and perhaps that's what they need. Well, absolutely. And and I think, you know, people seem to need permission Mm. to feel things and, and think things and talk about things. And it's incredible very often what other people are going through that they're just not um, vocalising because they don't know how to or no. they don't know who to say it to. Yeah. And sometimes asking for, for help, um, you know, leads to that that um, opening up of a community of support um, of, of other people that um, they may have responded to the call for help, but actually they're responding because they need some help as well yeah um, and it gives them permission to say yeah. yes i've i need some assistance or i'm yeah. struggling because you might inspire them to to yeah. s- to start their own recovery and and yeah. and you know managing their day to day absolutely um, so absolutely and you know check your own own baseline because i know what the amount i can cope with you know, you just know the amount that you can cope with health-wise, yeah, and that's that's physically, emotionally, and mentally. Um, so keep that in mind and tell the people that you're closest to. If you know, I hope, I absolutely hope um, that it that it's your partner um, that that you can talk to, or maybe your best friend, or mm. maybe your best friend is your partner, as, as Helen, my wife, keeps pointing out. She's my best friend. But um, being able to understand your baseline means that it's easier to plan your life with chronic ill health and to know that, you know, if I went to a funeral yesterday and so I couldn't do anything in in the afternoon or the evening uh, or most of this morning. And and knowing that means that life becomes easier and you you affect your own normal and Mm. you have more confidence in your yourself and who you are, um, and who who you're becoming every single day and adjusting to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much for allowing us, you know, into your personal experience and letting us feel what life with chronic ill health is like. Um, I know that people listening will feel empowered to, to take control of their health situation because um, you've really filled us with hope and possibility um now if you want to access sarah's groundbreaking work which you absolutely should um i'd urge you to check out her website which is belongingforchange.co.uk and of course if you want to work in a fully supported way on your emotional well-being then head over to codesignwithfliss.com and come and talk to me more about the empowerment that you deserve so Thank you so much again, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're so welcome, Fliss. Thank you for asking. Not at all. And I know that if you'll agree to it, this will uh, this will not be the end of the podcast. There'll be another episode in this somewhere. We could do so many. <laughs> you... could, I think we, we haven't even, you and I know that we haven't even scratched the surface in, in this 45 minutes. That's um, it. There's so much more to say, but I think if, if people are interested, then maybe we, we keep having conversations about it. I would love that. I would love that.
So that's it for this week. Um, I'm blessed that you've been uh, here to join us. And now we know more about our health stories and our future hope story. And now we know the way forward. Thank you.